This episode of 30-something is brought to you by Pure Grind Coffee, fuel for the hustle. Listen, I know there are a lot of moms out there listening right now who are in need of a jolt in the morning to just, you know, get the engines running. I have been trying Pure Grind Coffee for the past couple of months, and guys, this stuff is legit. This is for the coffee purist. It is for people who take life seriously, who take their job seriously, and who are just pretty much ready to wake up and kick ass. It is not meant to be watered down, sugared up, macchiatoed around with. It's meant to be enjoyed in its purest form. Now, disclaimer, I do drop a little bit of cream into my Pure Grind coffee, but it is delicious. And as a person who relies on that caffeine kick to get me going every morning, I have loved changing up my routine with Pure Grind coffee every day. Each small batch is roasted under the perfect conditions, not too dark, not too light, packed with flavor. You are going to love these beans. PureGrindCoffee.com. Get yours. They also offer a coffee grinder if you order their pack, and you get 10% off when you sign up for their newsletters. So check them out, puregrindcoffee.com. Brew, drink, hustle, and repeat. Hey guys, welcome to 30 Something with Sunny. I'm so glad you're here. If you are a new listener, welcome to the community. If you have been here for a while, I love you. I seriously do, and I'm so grateful for you. Anyhow, this is the podcast where we talk all about motherhood, self-care, and second chapters. Good reinvention stories are always so amazing to me. Today's episode is with Katie Grimes, a love addiction coach. Guys, can you even? Who even knew this was a thing? Katie is so fascinating. Her entire career is essentially dedicated to helping women break unhealthy habits when it comes to relationships. So listen, I don't care if you're married or single or looking or not looking. I feel like we can all benefit from a little self-reflection when it comes to our relationships, making ourselves better partners or making ourselves ready for the right partner when that person comes along. Katie's story is fascinating. She is a self-described sex, love, and fantasy addict who took her own challenges with her personal relationships and turned them into a learning experience and now co is other women to get to that same great level that she is at right now. We cover so much in this episode. It is so juicy. It's juicy and delicious. Okay. So here are just a couple of the things that we talk about. Are you a love addict? How to tell? Going from the other woman to the woman who now helps other women in relationships. Katie gets very personal in a story um, that sort of defines the turning point in her own personal life and why she decided to turn to coaching to help other women. Um, We talk about the problem with dating apps. We talk about marriage and long-term relationships. We talk about questions you might want to ask yourself before you uh, search out a partner in life. This uh, episode is just so chock full of very good advice, advice from the heart, And um, Katie is just amazing. The work that she's doing is really helping a lot of women out there. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I will be back on the flip side to tell you more about where to find more of Katie's work. But in the meantime, enjoy. This is Love Addiction Coach, Katie Grimes. All right, Katie Grimes here with us today on the show. Katie, I am so grateful that you gave us a few minutes of your time. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We called you a love addiction coach, which is like the coolest job description ever. I want to know, number one, what a love addiction coach really is. And number two, how do you get certified for such a cool job? Yeah, so let's see. So I'll start with your first question, which is, you know, for me, my experience was that I am a recovering sex, love, and fantasy addict. And so I coach women 
essentially on how to build more self-confidence, more self-esteem when it comes to having a healthy and happy relationship, really trying to stay away from those unhealthy habits, right? Those ones where maybe we're not necessarily uh, saying it like we want to and instead we just blow up or we give our partner the silent treatment or maybe we find ourselves just in this really dysfunctional relationship where we keep going back and again and again and, and can't seem to break the cycle. And I think for me, I realized four years ago that I was a love addict. I was somebody who desperately wanted to seek validation outside of myself, outside of that of like a higher power. And whether it was my friends, whether it was family members or, you know, male relationships, I just constantly was trying to feel better. And it didn't matter what relationship I was in. I was I found myself just feeling unfulfilled and unhappy. Um, and so I, I'd say my certification came through years of experience of acting out, uh, years of experience of, it was about 10 years ago where I started to go through the 12 step recovery program through a, a program called Al-Anon and really understand what is my part in feeling good about me and how does that relate to the other people that are in my life. And it was, like I said, about four years ago that I said, you know what, I've got to put this behavior down if I want to want any sort of chance at finding love, not only within a partner, but mostly within myself. So was there a an aha moment? Was there um, an exchange with a partner that made that red flag go up and say, okay, I'm addicted to love? Or was it just a gradual understanding of, um, you know, skewed expectations? Well, two things had happened. One, I was in a, a long-term relationship with someone and he said, you know, KG, we were just sitting in bed one night and he goes, it's like, it's like you love love so much, you know? He's like, all you want to do is be loved. So that struck a chord with me because that didn't feel so good. Like I remember kind of feeling burnt when he said that, like, what's that mean? And so it wasn't until about a year and a half later when I ended that relationship with him and found myself calling the next guy up within just a, even a few days and carrying on an affair with him for about six months that it took me until December that we had had like a sexual exchange and I drove home alone and I realized that one he was in an un, you know an emotion he was already he was married unfortunately and he was not emotionally available and he wasn't physically available and I grew up Irish Catholic girl we do not do that sort of thing and so I sat there thinking to myself like how defeated is this like first of all I'm breaking like every you know cardinal sin in the book here and then I also feel terrible and he, there's no way that he's going to leave his partner. And if he did, he's probably going to do that to me. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up phoning a girlfriend shortly after, I think it was the very next day. And I called her and I said, so I'm ready to do the work. Mm-hmm. Like I'm ready. I'm ready to like make, make this change. I don't want to live like this anymore. Okay, do we have to, we've got to dig deep on this because honestly, first of all, I commend you for, um, owning up to something that you, I would, I would, I can gather now deem a mistake and no one wants to be labeled the other woman. And I, can we dig into this a little bit and talk about this experience? Oh, okay. So first of all, a married man, like all of my married listeners right now are like sharpening their knives. They're like, what? But I want you to tell me honestly, how does this, how does something like this start? Because this is unfortunately not an uncommon thing. Yeah. So here's what I found out. Funny enough that 
I thought that marriage would solve everything. Like I thought that being in a married, committed relationship, I'd often hear from my girlfriends who were married to say, oh, thank God I don't have to go through what you do. You know, you're dating. And what I realized was that not only was I friends with men who were cheating on their spouses, I had some women, female friends, who were cheating on their spouses. And then I was sitting in 12-step recovery rooms with spouses who were cheating on each other as well. And I thought to myself, okay, so marriage doesn't solve this. Mm -mm. But to go back to your original question, for me, how it developed was trying to think back. Oh, you know, it was years. We had developed friendship. In this particular case, we had been friends for a very long time. And it was my my friend who said to me, hey, you know he's interested in you, right? And I said, but didn't he just tell us he got married? And she's like, yeah, but he's flirting with you. And I was like, ah, I don't think so. And she said to me, you know, one of the things that's, that I noticed with you around married people, uh, particularly men, is that you're very much yourself. You don't filter yourself. You're, I'm funny, I'm easygoing, I'm laughing, I'm telling jokes. Um, she goes, but you never cross the line. Like you, you're not flirting with them. And she said, but here's the thing. When you're in a relationship with someone who is not married, like meaning a friendship with someone who's not married, you, um, you overanalyze yourself, second guess yourself. You aren't funny. You kind of keep quiet. She goes, it's almost as if like with someone who's married, you, you know that they're off limits. So you don't even, you, you're, you act yourself. She said, I wish you could do that when you were in a part, you know, in a partnership with someone who is not married. And so what I found was I just called my friend, called my quote unquote friend. And as we were out there that night, I remember him telling me sort of intimate details about how they weren't getting along and his feelings for me and how he had had these feelings for me all these years. And he was glad I wasn't with the person I was with anymore. And so this fantasy took over, which is very much what I teach about and coach about is around fantasy addiction and this idea of what life could be like if I was just happy or I had was driving the kind of car he was, or I was living in the house that, you know, he bought, you know, and, and thinking like that there would be this financial safety and security as well as emotional. That is so, um, that's so poignant and not to play armchair psychologist. Number one, I agree with what, what your friend said about, it seems like people very easily let down their guard when they're around people they perceive to be, um, not a threat or not possible to date. So therefore they don't have to kind of do the whole song and dance. Um, I, I'm curious, you mentioned you were Catholic. I am too. I know the guilt is sort of like a big thing, but I'm curious your personal evolution after that experience and, and how you healed from that. Did you have guilt? Did you have, I, you clearly had a, an aha moment that inspired you professionally, but how did you heal yourself from that? took years. I think for one, I started working with someone who had more experience than I did um, in in overcoming really this relationship addiction, right? This addiction of wanting to be loved, this addiction of, of codependency and thinking that, you know, their happiness is relying on my happiness and, and, and also on dissecting growing up in a dysfunctional home and, and that of an alcoholic home and really seeing that the behaviors that I learned at such a young age were impacting the decisions that I was making today as an adult, and yet I was still blaming my parents for the way things were then, as opposed to re recognizing and realizing that I was an adult. And so it took years. It was a step-by-step -step process that I went through, it. and if you're familiar with 12-step recovery, I mean, it literally is a step-by-step -step process. 
where I would go to meetings multiple times a week. Um, I would talk to other women in the program who I could trust and rely that the experiences that I were sharing, they could relate to even if it was just the thoughts and the feelings, right? Because I do think that we are all bonded, even though our experiences may be different, we're bonded by our thoughts and our feelings. And I think for me, it was a lot of journaling. It was a lot of connecting with other people that were safe and that were trusted, people that could I could say something to and know it would stay between us. Um, and then it also meant really not spending time with men. So I took about a year and a half where, and I worked in an all-male industry and really trying not to engage with men unless I absolutely needed to and making sure that I was making phone calls kind of before and after because I wanted to recognize in those phone calls what my feelings were, whether it was anger and resentment that I had to put this kind of boundary up for myself or whether it was just sadness that maybe I could be missing out on meeting someone that could be a future love of my life. Um, but it also meant more specifically than the connection of that with other people, it was really forming this deep connection with God. You know, the God of my understanding had always been somebody that I prayed to only when things were bad and things were really bad in my opinion. And so I now started to pray when things were good and to also recognize that the pain and discomfort that I was feeling, that loneliness, that discontent, the shame, the guilt, that that was all under, that was all me practicing. That was all me practicing to get to a point where I could now teach others and relate to other women who are feeling this unfulfilled, even if they're not having the same experiences that I am, they, they may feel the same way, that they're not good enough. And to be able to say, I know what that feels like, and you're not alone. So, so I think that ended up being kind of what drove me is getting to that place of a relationship with myself and God and, and realizing that I did I did those things and the only thing I can do is learn from them and teach others to, to avoid doing them. Absolutely. So here we are today, you're helping men and women through these similar issues. What what exactly do you do to get qualified to do this? Is there a program you complete or there are so many big, big things that you are um, sort of going toward or walking toward big issues with these people, I would imagine that you have to sort of address one by one in order to help them fully understand. So um, what is your process like and how did you get to where you are where you're an actual coach? Yeah, so I look at it as a three-step process. I think one is making peace with the past um, and while therapy, excuse me, therapy is very much focused on the past and coaching is very much focused on the present and future, I find that I generally will, will ask them about things that are going on currently to date, right? Whether it's career, whether they're trying to make more money, whether they are feeling like they're not good enough in their relationship, and then realizing that when you go back to the past, like what's their first memory of this? I'm not diving in deep, and, and often I've said to people, you know, given them the resources of 12-step or given them the resources of therapy if they need, you know, CBT or, or other types of um, cognitive behavioral therapies and things like that because I'm not a therapist, right? I am someone, and I'm not a certified coach. I am someone who for the last 10 years and even longer, but, you know, was living my life presenting as if I had the house and I had the car and I had the job and I was, you know, had the friends and was traveling all over the world, but I was so incredibly lonely mm -hmm. and so defeated and feeling like I just had to go, go, go. And so 
if I knew that that wasn't going to be my future, which is the third part of how I coach is really kind of what I call it, getting pumped up for the future. What do you want? You know, do you want to be in a loving relationship? Do you want to not work um, as much as you are working now, but still earn an income to allow you to be at home with your babies or have you be traveling? Um, is to really listen. My job as a coach is to listen and to dissect from what they're saying and, and speak it back to them. So a phrase that I often use is, this is what I'm hearing. Does any of this feel true for you? Mm-hmm. And what they end up doing is they end up answering it themselves and saying like, yeah, that does feel true to me. I By me calling or texting him every single day, I am developing a codependent relationship. And that's not something I want to be doing in my dating life, you know? Are you feeling, are you hearing based on your your clients and what they're telling you that technology is making that addiction to um, emotion and that addiction to fantasy more difficult because of the access that we have to people constantly? It is, yeah. I think it's a mix of not only, you know, texting, um, but also social media, which I know we're hearing about a lot, but it's, you know, how many likes are we getting or how many comments are we getting in our engagement and, um, and you know, most of my clients, I I coach women who are um, heterosexual as well as homosexual, and the sexual orientations have no bias on how people are impacted by this, but it's really this understanding of like, oh, wow, I am constantly reaching out on my phone and he's not responding back. Why is it? Is it because he doesn't like me? And instead of picking up the phone and calling and having a conversation where you can hear one another's tone of voice, and asking questions to to validate what you're observing or sharing with them. This is the story I'm telling myself, which is you're not answering the phone, but you're liking a comment on my social media. You know, there's a disconnect here. This is how I would really like to move forward in our relationship in terms of communication. So I, I do try to encourage people to have their feelings about that, but then also articulate it in a way to the person that they're dating um, so that that person can determine whether or not they can accept the way that the one that they're dating is acting. I love that. There is so little importance placed on voice and and in inflection and person-to-person interaction because so much of what we do is on computers or on phones that I love I love hearing you say that you're encouraging women to sort of own the emotion, deal with it in a practical way, i.e. ask this person, hey, are you feeling the same way? And then moving on. I mean, I can imagine how difficult it must be where people are interpreting whether or not someone cares about them, like you said, based on whether they like their Instagram photo that day. That's like torture for someone. And so I would I would love to like sort of run through a little like scenario with you. Say you have Sally who comes in and to, to speak with you or is, is was working with you and has been dating this guy. I'm just putting this out there because I'm sure there's someone in this position who's been dating a guy for a couple of months. She met him online, hasn't had the discussion yet as to whether or not they are exclusive, but is terrified because she doesn't want to sound desperate. How do you advise Sally? That is something I deal with very often. So when it comes to Sally asking me that question about not wanting to come across needy, what I often ask her to do is to, to get quiet, to really look at her part of this first which is what does she need or what does she want from him? And so what I'll often say to her is, okay, so Sally, what do you need? What do you want in your relationship with him? And what is it that you fear if you are to actually say what you need and what you want? Well, I fear neediness, right? Okay, well, what's underneath the neediness? Like, like 
are you, how do you, how do you fear that he's going to act or perceive you? I mean, this just happened recently. And, and this person was the, one of my clients was talking to someone very often. And I said to her, what do you think about creating a little bit of space between the next time you, um, you know, see him versus the next time you speak to him, like on phone or text. And she said, I don't know. I, I, they're kind of in the same spot that you just described. And she's like, I don't want to come across like I'm setting too many boundaries or that I'm like needs, you know, special permissions and or coming across needy. And so what I said to her was, well, I often find in my own relationship that some days I just need to get quiet because there's a lot going on. You know, if he's calling you tonight, for example, could you say something to the extent of like, hey, you know what? I know I'm seeing you Saturday, but I need a couple of days to myself because I'm just getting back from a trip and I'm feeling a little tired. You mind if we uh, we pick this up like Thursday or Friday? Let's give each other a ring and we can talk about our plans. And I and she said, huh, that's interesting. And I said, yeah, well, well what, what comes up for you? And she's like, well, I'd actually get a lot of the journaling work that you asked me to do done. I'd probably be sleeping better, not checking my phone constantly. I'd probably feel better overall. And I said, and also it would give you permission that moving forward, if you do decide to be exclusive with this person, that it's a boundary you set at the very beginning, which is that it might be something you need going forward. And so, for example, in my relationship, that's something that my boyfriend and I do every couple months. We just say, hey, kind of need a weekend to myself this weekend. And we don't take it personal. It's just sort of something that we've already discussed is something that's mandatory for both of us to feel like we can bring our best selves into our relationship. And, and what was the result of, I know you said you had a similar situation. Have you seen that one through with her and where does she stand? It just happened today. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to hear back. We'll have to check Yeah, back. this is very timely. <laughs> it, it really is a screwed updating world though. And I've heard it from so many um, people on the market right now. Can you speak to that? And just, I know we've all heard the same complaint about dating apps and the swiping and the edited and filtered photos and all of that stuff. But what really what really is the big issue? Is it just that we are not seeing people face to face and it's making it that much more difficult to get a read on whether these people are compatible with us or not? I think it goes back to kind of the first question you had asked, which is, you know, how to, with this person that I described, what ended up happening is I think we're afraid of our feelings, right? I think we are only a society now that is being conditioned to only be happy and joyful and not making room for anger, sadness, discontent, all the other um, grief, all the other emotions that come up. And so as a result, I think people hide behind their photos or they hide behind a text message and aren't able to, when they meet you in person, stop and long enough to not be talking about themselves to actually ask you a question and listen for the answer. And I, I think it goes back to this idea that I'm sure many of us are talking about these days is this idea of trauma, which is None of us want to be rejected. None of us want to be abandoned. And I think oftentimes when we think if we ask for what we need in a relationship, that the person that we are interested in is no longer going to want to date us because we will come across needy or we will come across, you know, too assertive. But the reality is, is that if, and this is what I've coached myself on, it's something that I'm coaching my clients on is then that's more information to you as the person who is dating this person to say, okay, this person is not compatible with what I need and what I want in my life. And I think with dating and all the apps and all the online stuff, it's there's this facade, right? And I say to my girlfriends and, and to my coaching clients, I say, you know, make sure that before you go out for that, you know, three hour date, that 
instead of getting dressed and getting there and then being on the three hour date, now you've just wasted like five or six hours. Why not just pick up the phone and see if you're laughing at the same shit? Mm-hmm. Like making sure that you're understanding one another is the timing right. Are they asking enough questions about you as you are to them? And are they actually listening to the answers? And I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is I think that there are some people who are not on the dating apps for the same reason, which, by the way, boggled my mind when I was on the dating apps. It wasn't until I realized by asking a male friend, how come I'm swiping and I'm you know, matching with 10 people, but only two are coming through? And he said, Katie, we're not all on the app for the same reason. I said, well, what are the other reasons? He yeah, said, sex. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that didn't even occur to me. Like former sex and love addict over here. It didn't even occur to me. Um, and so he said, yeah, no, like if you ask what our intentions are up front or you listen close enough, you're going to be able to tell. And so I started asking the right questions of what are they on here for? And those that wouldn't answer, I knew what they were on there for. That's actually a really good filter in screening. And I am just, I mean, gosh, I'm just, I don't want to like come across as like smug married person because like you said, marriage isn't the fix to everything, but I'm just really glad I don't have to be on these apps. They're just, it's really, um, as a person who thrives on um, face-to-face talking and, and reading expressions, I mean, my husband laughs. He's like, I mean, I sometimes I'm just like, let's just talk. And he's like, what? what precisely do you want to talk about? I'm like, anything. He's like, I don't know what to talk about. Like we've <laughs> talked 15, I'll call him during the day. He's like, you're, we're the only spouses in my office that talk this much on the phone during the day. And I said, it's just really, I need it. I need a, I need to hear a voice. But um, yeah, I, I think when we undersell the importance of connecting directly with people, we tend to lose sight of, like you said, what it is exactly we want, because there are so many things that you can learn just by hearing someone or seeing their face. And, and I love that you're, you're pushing the women that you work with to kind of to, to own that and not, you don't have to be the cool girl all the time, right? You don't have to be the one who pretends like she doesn't care all the time. Absolutely. And the example that I gave to my coaching client today was, you know, do you, she said that she really wanted a, a good morning and you know, good evening text from him as well as communication during the day. And I said, you know, what that can potentially prevent is for you to be independent of one another. I said, you know, when it comes to your children or when it comes to your friends, are are you texting or reaching out that often? And she said, no. And I said, well, I think what, what I think we used to think dating was is that that one person that we were with was our end all be all. And they become our therapist and they become our friend and our lover, our travel companion our financial planner, like it, they become everything. And it can be a really nice balance to try to integrate time alone, as well as time with other like-minded people, whether that be girlfriends or family members or just friends in social circles, like, like we're meeting, you know, and, and really being able to find that one person can't give us everything, but that we can find it within ourselves what we need, and then be able to look outside of that relationship in terms of friendships and, and other people that I just mentioned to be able to, to get that interaction, you know, like you were just describing. I'm curious what you tell your um, clients to those questions you said when they get quiet to ask themselves to really figure out what it is they need. Um, how, what do you prescribe to them besides um, unplugging, minimizing the distractions? What kind of questions can people ask themselves to really get at the heart of what type of relationship it is that they need? I think a big part of it Come, the word fear came up for me when you started 
um, when you started asking that question. I think we're really fearful of making mistakes. I think we're really fearful that we are going to somehow mess it up either because we have in the past or we don't want to in the future. And so one of the questions that I often will ask, not only myself, but also my clients. So I never ask my coaching clients to ask themselves a question. I haven't already asked myself, by the way, which is what's the fear? Like what's underneath it? Where is the first memory of this coming up? And then one um, course that I have, it's called Fantasy Versus Reality, which is um, a great journaling prompt and affirmations, which talks about the fact that sometimes we have this fantasy of how we thought life should be versus the reality of what it is. So for example, if someone has broken up with someone and they are still aggravated that it didn't work out or that he's already moved on, um, it can be really helpful to sit quietly and journal out, you know, what did I think this relationship would be? What did I hope that he would do differently? What are, um, you know, what is the reality of my situation? Meaning how is he, how am I thinking, thinking about him? How am I feeling about him? What is, how is it impacting my life right now? Am I not sleeping? Am I not eating? Am I distracted at work? And really being able to look at kind of both sides of the coin to say, okay, this is what I thought life would be like, but here is how life is today. And how do I, how do I make peace with the past, similar to what I described earlier, so that I can be more present right now mm -hmm. and, and have the kind of life that I want to have. How do you tell if someone is a love addict? Is there like a list of symptoms or certain things that you check for? Yeah. So on so there's a web so you t we talked about um celebrities and and how um i think tiger woods infamously made sex and love addicts anonymous what it you know its celebrity name but sex and love addicts anonymous is actually a 12 step recovery program i am affiliated with them only by being a fellow in that in that um fellowship so they don't pay me there. That's what's so beautiful about um, 12 step recovery is that nobody's being compensated to tell you that they have these services available. But there's a there's 40 questions for self-diagnosis and they ask you questions like, um, you know, do you find that it's hard not to watch porn? You know, do you find that you are excessively obsessing about you know, someone or putting an idea of what you thought someone would be in your the top of your mind, but then you're mad at them that they're not living up to the expectation of who they are. And because I've been in the program for four years and really doing this soul searching work on myself, it's very easy now for me to be able to identify for people who are no who are not affiliated with SLA or not affiliated with uh, understanding what love addiction is is to be able to gently call it by name because I think addiction gets a really bad rap. I think that what I understand addiction to be is a compulsive need to do something so that we feel good, but it actually makes us feel bad. And so I am no, I'm like no longer putting that stigma on addiction. It's no, it's just that I'm compulsively trying to do something to feel better, but it's making me feel bad. So for some people it's overeating, some people it's undereating. And for what we're talking about today, it's really understanding love addiction and that it's really kind of this compulsive need to feel better and seek validation outside of ourselves um, to, to feel better. 
Is this something that you constantly have to go back, not you, not just you personally, but anyone that you're working with in that program has to constantly go back and reassess and address? Or is this something that you can be, air quotes, cured from? Um, so t- it's the first part. It is one of those things that you never graduate for from. Um, I very much understand addiction to be one of those things that it can certainly be, it can calm itself down, but it's going to be something that's always the foundation of how I, how I, I mean, I grew up like this, right? I grew up seeking the love of my mother. And so as a result, I'm constantly seeking the love of other people. So it's, it's almost, if you looked at me as a foundation, like a home, the foundation is built off of seeking that love and attention and need from somebody else. And so on top of it is the frame and and all the other things in the home And that's all healthy and good. But at the foundation, it's really, it's my crutch. It's what I always naturally want to go back to. So every single day, I have to go back to meditation. I have to go back to journaling. I have to go back to reaching out to my coach and really practicing, hey, this feeling is coming up for me. I'm seeing that I like immediately want to reach out to, you know, a former sex partner or I'm seeing that myself want to write another email to my boss to let him know, like, are you sure that that we got that in on time? Is there anything more I can do? Right. Mm -hmm. And instead, what I've seen is what you came in, what I start coaching you on at the beginning may not be what we're coaching later. Right. So over time, we assess, okay, are you still calling former sex partners? Nope. I've completely put that behavior down. I don't even feel the need when I get triggered at work. I don't even feel the need to call that person or those people. Okay, but I'm noticing that like food is coming up and I'm craving sugar. Okay, what what can we do to kind of even that out a little bit so that that doesn't become your next crutch? Because with addiction, when you put one substance down, the next one pops up. And so you get this whack-a-mole disease. So we just try to, we try to see what's up each week to give you the most amount of love and attention that you can give yourself. Mm -hmm. And what I like too is that it sounds like this advice is applicable for anyone, whether they're paired up with a partner or not. These are things and little bits of self-improvement that you can be doing no matter your situation. Absolutely. It is not biased based on relationship status, um, sexual orientation, like gender, nothing. Like everyone is, everyone is impacted by this. You brought up Porn. And I know that part of your job entails helping people to break unhealthy fantasies, online porn, and the accessibility to the freaky shit that is out there. <laughs> um, I mean, girl, you've got your work cut out for you. There, okay, I, I'm just trying to articulate this here because there is just so much out there for a man or a woman to strange content to listen I'm not here to judge whatever your kink is your kink is but there's just so much content out there for people to consume I fear that we are all especially people who are um, active in the dating pool and searching for a partner becoming desensitized to so much because of what they're seeing online and I hate to be that old person you know blaming the computer but how in the world do you deal with this as a problem because no matter what we do that stuff is always going to be out there it's, I mean, you're right on. I think there's so much content and it's so accessible. I mean, I found that even as I was watching JLo and Shakira, I was like, I feel like this is highly sexual, you know? Like I, I almost became like, I'm not desensitized to it anymore. I'm, I'm almost like, oh, wow, that doesn't sit well with me. Like 
um, so what I found is that with practice, right, I've been able to get to that place of, and porn was never my thing. I think that, um, it, what I, from my research, what I commonly see is that porn addictions generally are gender, gender neutral on the like male side, right? right Most right. men who come into the, the rooms or who I've spoken with definitely can relate to having that porn addiction. Women sort of tend to be on the other side of it, which is I watch it occasionally. It's usually when I am have my period. It's not really very often. Um, so I don't really need to put it on um, on my bottom line, right? It's not something that I, I think I need to stay away from. So the fact that I don't coach men, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll give you kind of my two cents on the research, but I, I want to dive into the women more so, which is for the men, I think they find that by putting blockers on their phone, no longer using an iPhone, but using flip phones, like they go to extreme measures. And um, to try to kick this, this porn habit. Right. Mm -hmm. And because I don't have experience with porn addiction, I will often, if someone and no one has so far come to me with something that's ex as extensive as what I've heard from a lot of the men that I have, um, have previously been in rooms with. So I, what I generally do in that case is I usually direct them to someone whom I know has experience with this and can kind of help them with that aspect of the addiction. But what I generally see underneath all of it, despite the fact if it's porn or not, is that it's a feeling of not feeling good enough or a feeling like they don't want to, like a fear of intimacy. Like they don't want to build connection with the person who's sitting in the other room. They would rather fantasize and zone out about what life could be like. And so when I'm coaching women as it relates to putting down porn and putting and often putting down masturbation right at the beginning, it allows them to have their reaction, which most of them, their reaction is because it was mine too. I don't masturbate very often. I don't watch porn very often. So why should I have to put this down? And what was explained to me and what I explained to them is that when you put those behaviors down, meaning you no longer do them, and you're also no longer, you know, having sex with people who, who um, are not in a committed relationship or you are not dating, like when you're putting these other behaviors down, what happens is if you didn't put porn and masturbation down, then what would happen is it would rise up and it would become the new addiction. And it would be a way to fantasize about oh, well, if I was with so-and-so, then this is what life would be like. And so what I try to explain to them is let's put some parameters, whether it's the blocking on your phone or whether, and, and women generally don't have a hard time with this, actually. I find that most of them are like, fine, I'll put it down. <laughs> and then a couple weeks later, you find that they are going through their period and that's when it comes up for them again. It's because mm -hmm. the hormones and the chemicals are changing. So we generally just put a lot of self-care around that time of baths and walking and making phone calls and, and time with friends to really, in a way, distract them from the fantasy of what they think they're going to get from connecting with their body with masturbation or through the fantasy of porn. It sounds to me like those stereotypes then between men and women really do hold up in the real world too on a grander scale because, you know, we all know that, I mean, this is just science. Men are motivated by different things in life and in relationships. It's interesting that your work sort of bears that out and that's an easier sacrifice for your female clients to make. Yeah, well said. Mm -hmm. So tell me what's what's next here. Um, I would imagine that your work obviously continues with your individual clients and things like that. But um, I'm curious if you have any advice 
for a person right now who's struggling to understand where their future is in regards to their relationships. What would you tell them based on where Katie is today versus where you were? What inspired you to go down this path in the first place? Any, um, like I said, advice or sort of a good starting point for someone who really wants to discover who they are and what they want in a relationship? I would say the first thing that comes to mind is that you don't have to do it alone. I think that this was really crucial to me is that I had grown up in an environment that if you asked for help, it was it was perceived as being weak and that so much of, you know, whether it was career or high school, college, you know, you'd always have to focus not just on your strengths, but also what your weaknesses were and get good at that. And what it ended up doing was fatiguing me and making me feel not good enough. And so I wouldn't would hardly reach out for help. It wasn't until I started down this journey where I felt really confused and really lost and really hopeless and realized that I think life can be better, but I'm not really sure that that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of discontent began began to come every single day. And that's when I was like, you know what? I think I need help. And so for me, therapy wasn't the route. You know, I didn't want to go sit in someone's office for an hour and just talk about myself. That's why for me, coaching was the best option. And that's why I enjoyed doing it is it can become a shared experience where someone starts to share their feelings. And then me as a coach can share back with them either a relatable experience or feeling. And it makes the person feel less alone. And that was that's just been my guiding light this whole way through is if I can just make one person feel less alone with their thoughts and their feelings of of not feeling good enough, be it single or in a relationship, then I've done my, I've done my work. I I do want to ask you this. I I had written this note down and and we kind of haven't covered it yet, but you, in the beginning of the podcast said you're a self-described sex, love and fantasy addict. I think for women, fantasy um, is, is, so different, I guess, person by person, but the fantasy of the, like you said, the perfect domestic life is sort of top on that list. If I find this guy, then everything will be great. We'll, um, you know, live in a house together and we'll share our bills and we'll share our responsibilities. You've been very clear. And even in the, in the podcast that you've put out on your show, that marriage and long-term relationships don't solve anything, that the work to be done is still sort of individual. I wondered if you could just sort of expand on that. I know you did a whole episode on your podcast that sort of addresses this very issue, but just talking about that fantasy that so many women have that is, okay, if I find the right person, then everything from here will just be perfect. Yeah, I think, I mean, you're articulating it so well. I, I think the the podcast, so the name of the podcast is Anything for Love, but I think the episode was called Marriage Won't Solve. Yeah, solve what, what marriage won't fix, yep. Yeah, what marriage, what marriage won't fix. And the opening line was it won't fix loneliness. I think that so many of us get into relationships thinking that if we are with somebody, that that somebody will complete us. Thank you, Jerry Maguire. Like it was a terrible, <laughs> a beautiful line, but a terrible line for most of us women because I think if you're anything like me, you'd listen to a love song after a breakup or during a relationship and think like this is this is going to fill your heart, you know. And I I think so many of us women think that if we are in a relationship, then we will be saved, whether that is financially, whether that is emotionally, whether that's physically. Um, or spiritually. And it wasn't until I had a major breakdown about 10 years ago where the partner that I was with said, 
it's as if we've I've lost you all of those ways financially spiritually emotionally physically like you're just not the same confident woman that I once knew it made me realize that oftentimes when we're in the search for our soulmate what we don't realize is that there are people in our life who are coming to us for a reason and that reason is to reflect back what we need to see about ourselves mm. the good the bad and the ugly and to be able to step into reality of realizing what is it about our life that is making us feel unfulfilled and how can we go about changing it, not expecting somebody else to change it for us. I love that. I, and I think too, that is applicable to friendships as relationships as well as romantic ones. And it's um, it's always interesting to me to see who people choose to surround themselves with. And there tend to be groups. You, There are people who surround themselves with people who um, sort of solidify their feeling and stance of who they are in the world. And there are people who surround themselves with people who force them to learn something new and be different. And I have only recently learned that that's a real um, sort of deciding factor in, in how I pick friends too. I, I have to be around people who are curious and interested in growth, but I have noticed that there are people most comfortable around people who just need stasis and that's okay too. But really that just sort of helped me to, I mean, not, you know, not to like make you therapize me or anything, but, no. <laughs> but I, yeah. I heard you say that and I was like, oh my gosh, yes. You're, you said something, you know, surrounding people with, surrounding yourself with people who make you ask questions about what you really want. And I just, you know, it's awesome that you're doing work with people that helps them to come to that um, sort of realization. Well, I think that's such a beautiful realization that you had about friendships, right? Because it is, they, I think when we are in loving relationships, that includes friendships, we we surround ourselves with people who are healthy and those that are happy. And we often can recognize very quickly those friendships that are weighing us down and to to make space from them. And I get this a lot because I get a lot of referrals from friends of friends, right? So friends saying, oh my God, I love my girlfriend, but I can't I can't listen to her anymore. You've got to help her, you know, or, and those saying, I'm going to distance myself. And I find that one of the things that is so interesting about getting healthy is that it is often very lonely because we start to cut ties from the friends that we've had for so long, um, or the friends that we have started to develop. And it's really a recognition that we are on the right path because, um, when it comes to letting go of those friendships that are no longer serving us, they actually are serving us, right? Like the fact that if we're going to let them go, then we are actually learning something about ourselves, which we couldn't have learned unless we, unless we let them go. Oh, I love it. I love the work you're doing. Um, Katie, tell us where we can find more of your work and engage in some of the workshops and, th and things that you're offering as well. Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram kg.katiegrimes, as well as my website, katiegrimes.com. And then I've got two things that are coming up. Actually, I'll mention three because we're a little bit farther away, but you can put it on your radar. Let's do it. So the first is called Easily Dating. It is on February 26th at 3.30 Eastern. It's online. And this is for really for women who are actively dating, um, but they want to feel strong and powerful and confident in their relationships, and they're really willing to do something different. So you can be in a relationship or you can actively be dating, um, but this is for someone who just kind of, as I described earlier, maybe is attaching themselves to the wrong kind of people and not feeling as strong and powerful and following their intuition as much as they could be. 
Um, so that's one. And then the second is follow your heart, which I'm taking four women through a four week course. And again, these are for women who are actively dating either that or in their inner relationship. And they, they essentially want to show up as the best version of themselves. Like they want to be healthy. They want to be happy. They want to not repeat the mistakes of their past. Um, and that they want to be worthy of the kind of love that they're fantasizing over. And then this is coming up in June. This will be in Boston, but in, in, I think it's June 13th, I am hosting my annual one day conference, which is called the summit of love. All these details can be found on my website, but this is a one day conference where I get together with, um, a small group of women this year. We're going to do 25 people last year. We did 50 and we are really diving deep into those areas of our life and in our relationships where we're feeling unfulfilled and really coming to that place of spiritual solution. So we walk out of there feeling healthy and happy. I've had women end relationships. I've had women buy homes. I've had women take trips. I've had women like the, the amazing transformations that they've had as a result of coming has been really beautiful and just feeling so connected with like-minded women. So again, those first two courses can be found online. And then if you want to make the trip to Boston, we had a chick come from Houston, Texas last year. Wow. So, um, so yeah, people have been traveling for it. So that's great. Well, you are doing amazing stuff. I appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time, Katie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. How amazing is Katie? I love it. I feel like I got a little detailed on my questions, but Katie was such a sport and really answered. I mean, really, who can you ask questions about porn addiction to except someone like her that does this for a living, that deals with this kind of crazy stuff? So um, I'm grateful to you, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This was just full of so much wisdom that I hope you all, whether you are in a committed relationship or looking for someone or deciding whether or not you're ready for a relationship, I sincerely hope you took away something good from this episode because Katie is full of great advice and wisdom. As you heard her say, you can follow her on Instagram at kg.katiegrimes. You can follow me on Instagram at sunnyabatta, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. I'm also blogging weekly on all things motherhood and beauty at sunny.me. Um, and that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Those are so helpful, guys, that they help to get the episodes out to people who might enjoy them or find them useful. So it is not a waste of time to leave a rating or review. I promise you. In fact, I would be so grateful. Um, and that's it. We'll be back next week with some more good stuff. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 30 something. I will see you guys soon. Mm -hmm.